Hey, uh, welcome to uh, this unique expression of our Sunday podcast. We have only done this one at a time, and uh, it's exciting to get back on here. Um, for those of you that are joining, uh, my name is Chad Veach, and I get the privilege, the honor of leading this incredible community called Zoe Church. And in, um, in context, the reason why we've kind of deviated from uh, our regular podcast is, uh, well, let's be honest, I'm in Stockholm this weekend, and we thought we would take advantage of me not being there and having a conversation about what's going on in our country. I am joined by three fantastic individuals, and uh, all of them are huge uh, contributors to our community. Uh, Zach Franklin, who is joining us, is a good man with two children. Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Or shall I call it just the podcast, church podcast, but tonight it's a show. (laughs) It's quite the show. And uh, Zach is a good man. I've known Zach for uh, well over 12, 13 years. Since 2004, God, well, you know, he knit us together. And uh, (laughs) so Zach and I have been friends for a long time. It's great to have Zach here. Eric Van Valen. From Virginia Beach, yes. also Tulsa, Hello. Oklahoma. Great Thank to have you. you. For, having me. for those of you that don't recognize the name immediately, kind of a big deal <laughs> in the whole relevant magazine world. Not a big deal. The last two uh, cover stories have been his write-up. And then lastly, Chantel. Chantel, what is your last name? Gibbs. Gibbs. Chantel Gibbs is joining us. And she's kind of a big deal around Biola University <laughs> and Zoe Church. Uh, Chantel is just a prolific worship leader. She's a graduate of Biola and now a professor. Very sharp individual, and we're honored to have all three of you guys. Um, I know you can't see it because it's audio, but I myself, I am a Hispanic, half Mexican. Chantel, you are? Black Apino. Black Apino, I like that. Oh yeah. So you're half Filipino, Mm -hmm. half black. Eric, you are? Fit into the... The white category. The white. The, uh, so if you're checking a box, yeah. are we are we just going straight to Caucasian? We can go Dutch, German descent, European descent. But, and and yeah. there's not a box for that, really, so they no, just go. They just throw you. Caucasian. Caucasian. Okay. Well, that's okay. And and we're still, we still accept you. And Zach, you are? I am black and I am white. So you're half black, half white. And, uh, you know, I feel the same. On the inside. Right, right. On the inside. A lot of people are like, where did you get your accent? And I'm like, Snoop did it to me. Oh. But um, <laughs> but great to have all of you guys on the podcast. Hey, we thought um, because of just where America is, and uh, I know we've kind of been kidding around for a little bit of the intro, um, we just, we felt as a community, as a church, the responsibility to speak up on some really important issues and uh, we've got a few questions that we're going to go through, and I hope that wherever you're at listening to this podcast that you can um, find great encouragement and even some wisdom on how to address some really critical, important, uh, pending topics going on in our country. I'm going to uh, start with this question. How have the recent police shootings, let's just go straight into it, how have the recent police shootings in Charlotte, Tulsa, Minnesota, Baton Rouge, personally affected you or shaped your thoughts on the racial divide in America? Big question to start off with. You know, I'll take this one. I think, you know, as a parent of two little boys, um, when you see civil unrest happening to a demographic that you relate to directly, 
Um, it makes me think of what is the potential or the future um, years look like for my boys being, mm. they'll someday be black men and if they're in a situation like that, um, how are they going to be viewed? How are they going to mm. be handled? So I really think of not just the present time, but how is this going to evolve throughout time? Wow. The future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. I can't, e- I can't even imagine. Yeah, I'll tack on to that. I, I think it's really, it's just necessary to have the conversation and the minute yeah. it becomes like a, a tired refrain, I think yeah. that's when I have an issue. So talking about it, leaning into the conversation rather than shying away from it. So when it comes up in conversation with friends or family and it's not met with this level of empathy or even mm. just the desire to listen or be heard, I think wow. that's where a lot of the issue lies is that people aren't willing to have the conversation and to dialogue about it when right. it's reality for a lot of people that um, can't sleep at night. And mm. Some people have the luxury of not talking about it and not dialoguing about it, but others have to have to lean into the conversation. So, yeah. yeah, that's such a great thought. Yeah, have to. It's like, I think maybe in some context, people feel like the ability to not have a conversation because they're not faced with it. Yeah. I think for people like us in our city, we're faced with this. Right. This is this is our world. This yeah. is a reality that we face in a global city like Los Angeles that we don't have a few ethnicities. Los Angeles is a melting pot of culture. And so it's like, yeah, we we feel, and I think that's the reason why we're recording this podcast. It's like we have to have mm-hmm. this conversation. Zach brought it up. He's a father of two black children and he has to have this conversation with his kids and his family and not having the conversation it would be detrimental it's not it's not even an option for us it's like we've got to talk about this because i also think like you're talking about the things always in life that matter to you right everybody's throwing out this hashtag like hashtag all lives matter but let's just be honest right now right now it's not about just all lives matter which we believe that's that's like kind of Hey, Mr. Common Sense, we know that. Right now in our country, how about hashtag Black Lives Matter? Yeah. Because that's really the issue that's pending. That's really the hot topic of our country. And unfortunately, um, it, it, it bothers me. It bothers me when people want to distill it down to, well, yeah, let's include everybody. Hey, that goes without saying. We value Asians, Hispanics. Saudi, you, I mean, name a nationality. But right now, it's black people that are getting shot mm-hmm. without a weapon. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's, it's really, it really boils down to right now, if you look at the, the uh, climate of Charlotte, Tulsa, Baton Rouge, Dallas, Minneapolis, all of these videos that we've now seen, which we all know have happened for years, but we're now seeing footage, and uh, intimate footage, by the way, um, I think the conversation, it has to be had. And that's why we're here right now recording this podcast. Yeah. I think for me, um, it's definitely been like a wake-up call to a lot of things. I think right. um, starting with, you know, Trayvon Martin and then Ferguson. You know, I was in Virginia and Southeast Virginia where, where we lived and just didn't interact with a lot of, like, minority groups and certainly not a lot of African-Americans. So it's easy to see an event like that have it affect you for a few days and then step away from it and kind of, you don't have to deal with it, it's not my experience, and so I kind of forget about it. But when it's been, like this summer, just this, re, you know, these repeated examples of something bigger right. happening, um, and unfortunately it's taken something like that to really 
catch my attention, I think, the, the attention of the country. Right. And I understand how, uh, you know, uh, someone who's black is saying, like, you're just now seeing this, you're just now awakening to this, but it's like, unfortunately, yes, like, in my lifetime, um, a lot of people in, that I grew up with thought maybe racism was a thing of the past or was a, a fight of the past and we just didn't understand uh, the dynamics that are sort of taking place. And, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it makes me think of something Malcolm Gladwell talks a lot about and that's thin slicing, and which is pretty much like making judgment calls. And I think, you know, what's interesting right now is you're right. I don't think that we ever really saw, hey, racism is going to be a, a, a huge issue in the future. But we, we all live with stereotypes. And I, I think it leads to our second question uh, for today. How has social media affected the perception of these events? Because I think that's a really important topic to talk about. Is social media helping us? Is it feeding the stereotypes? Is it, is it creating a, a good enough case for uh, you know, the defendant? I, I, I want to know, what, what, what do you guys think? How does social media play into all this? How does it affect these events? For me, it's, it's, you know, it's the ability to have these things with angles from all over. We're getting like multiple angles right. all the time. And right. it's like streamed to my face, like eight inches from my face. And it's just, and I can watch it as over and over again. And I'm, I'm feeling it more than ever before. Like I'm, right. I'm experiencing it more. And then we're getting, um, even, you know, the days after an event, the family chiming in and, and new footage and so mm. you're you're sort of like living with this right um in a different way than you ever could ever before and so um you i think you're able to to really experience it and then and grieve a little bit with the family and so that's that's changed how, how i think we experience these events totally at least for me absolutely yeah i was thinking about when the attacks in paris happened how my entire feed oh. was flooded with this right. hashtag pray for paris and i was like if that had happened like 10 years ago, things would have been so different. 9-11 yeah. would have been like, oh. just, I remember I was going to school. I had no idea, but like all over the playground, people were kind of murmuring about different things. I didn't find out about it until I got home. Um, and my mom was glued to the television, but like within a second, a nanosecond, you can find out about things. Right. But then the issue, I think, with social media, and I'm still navigating this because sometimes I'm like, I'm not going to leave my Instagram. Like, I'm not going to look at it. Right. I'm over it. But when you just see the post or you just see the hashtag and then that's it. Um, and I think like it's one thing to post it and to actually pray and to yeah. like go home and talk about it with your family and wrestle through it. Um, it's another thing to, I saw this with, with Paris a lot, people would use it as an opportunity to kind of um, almost showcase the time that they got to be in Paris and how fun that was. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really hard for me. So I think wow. with delicate issue of um, just the, like, the weight of things that are happening right now, it can't be confined to a picture. There has to be more right. attached to it. Right. And so, right. yeah, I think social media like alleviates a lot of that. And sure. We just gotta be aware of it and attentive to it. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. So well said. Yeah, I think social media for me has become somewhat of a like a minefield um, for a long time I didn't post anything either way because I try to be someone who brings people together um, and in that time of observation 
you really see how people's posts become a minefield. You say the wrong thing and it sets them off. You say the wrong thing and you face so much opposition and we have this whole, you know, construct where we're going to lose our following, our false following because of our opinion or because of our belief. And um, sadly, you know, I think timelines and posts have really become a new ground for hate speech. Wow. Um, I think kind of piggybacking off, you know, what you just talked about, the racism still being issued today. I think what we're faced by largely that the vehicle of racism has changed. Wow. So when the vehicle changes, you can't recognize it as much. Um, whether that be policy or, or an institution or social wel- welfare, um, I think like social media, um, it has become a vehicle to further negative connotations. And so that's like, that's it's good. one more um, place that hasn't become so safe in, anymore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think, it, what, a, what an interesting tension there because it gives, on, on one end, social media gives voice to the minority. Yeah. And it's where the minority can really like, hey, this hurts, you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I find myself looking at hashtags because I wanna know what is the minority saying. Mm-hmm. So, and then on the other end, it's like, hey, what are the experts saying? And even furthermore, I think this is what's so interesting about social media is who are the experts? So now all of a sudden, anybody posting about it that has any affinity with that uh, ethnicity is almost an expert. I'm looking looking at someone that's 19 years old that's from that area, almost like they're an expert. I think that's what's so interesting about social media is that it really gives a voice to the minority but like you said, I think where it gets very dangerous, it becomes a minefield for hatred. And it, 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 lest you say the wrong thing. I know for me, I've been attacked on social media just by saying things like hashtag Black Lives Matter or posting about, I, I put up a quote of, of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, and something to the effect, I can't remember the exact quote, but something to the effect of not saying something is saying something comes a point where you gotta say something. And I know people started sounding off on me, going like, you don't know about the officer. And, and, and I, I find that social media, it, it becomes the first place, like you're saying, 9-11 would've looked so different. Because the first place that people go to, to both find information and to use it, you know, as a voice. I, I wanna ask you this, in your experience, what unique challenges have, have you had to face as a minority in America, Eric, this does not apply to you. Again, Relevant Magazines, we, we love Cameron Strings, one of my dear, dear friends. A bigger podcast than ours, oh, it's fine. We're just getting started. Um, but, um, but you know, for you guys, Zach and Chantel, what, what, have, what have been some unique things you've had to face gro- growing up as a minority in this country? Yeah, I... Uh... I'm black and I'm white, like I said earlier, but I grew up in um, an all-Caucasian household. Um, so the interesting tension there was having a loving mother who is Caucasian trying to raise a child in an experience she never will experience. Mom has been my greatest advocate my whole entire life, but it's a very um, unique dichotomy when you have a Caucasian mother being an advocate for African-American son in a predominantly Caucasian town. Um, and, and you know, even from the time I was young, my mom protected me from hate speech. I never heard the N-word. The first time I ever heard the N-word wasn't in a rap song, wasn't in a movie, wasn't anything in entertainment. It was because a kid on the playground called me the N-word and I went home and I had no idea what it was. And that was kind of the tipping point for, um, 
you know, my core identity of a black male being threatened in terms of I we had someone in, a, in authority communicate that I had to get used to that because it's used in music and movies. So I think what's wow. interesting, my, my experience with it, all that to be, to be said, is um, racism really, really challenges and affects your core identity. Um, and it really makes you um, question who you are. Um, not because you're insecure, but because you have someone in authority or outside voice mm -hmm. telling you that how you feel or who you are is not valid or is unreasonable. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's been something I've, I've really grown, grown up with and sadly gotten used to. Um, and really, you know, I come to, to expect it. I'm mm. blessed to live in LA where it's very diverse, mm -hmm. um, but even in LA you see very segregated groups. And um, sadly, I think I'm like most of our country where we've chosen to get used to it. Mm. Um, so well said. You use the word authority, which is so good because I was listening to the Literatist podcast and um, Propaganda is a huge hip hop artist, activist, just amazing, incredible. Shout human. out! So good. Um, <laughs> you are, I love you. Um, but he said something really it's great that I've just been thinking about for so long. But he talked about how racism, in its academic definition, is taking prejudice and attaching it to power. Mm. So someone who has prejudice but has the capacity to like exercise it. And, and so I was like so dumbfounded by that because I, we all have prejudice. It's like, I don't like mustard. Like that is my prejudice. I will stand by that. That's not my thing. Uh, but I'm not gonna limit <laughs> your, deep. yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna limit anyone's intake of mustard, although I highly yeah. don't like it. Um, but I have experienced also um, acts of racism. Yeah. Um, Gosh, where do I start? I, uh, yeah, so I'm half black, half Filipino. My mom's Filipino, uh, single mom growing up. So I look more black than I am, than I appear Filipino. So I mm -hmm. think even when we got lost in the store, people wouldn't believe that my mom was my mom. Wow. Uh, and I think the most recent thing that comes to mind, I was standing outside of work, um, minding my own business and someone walks by me and mutters under his breath, uh, you cursed and just said you you this this half breed, and I I turned around in disbelief because I was in shock that that had happened. I was like that was not me, surely not in 2016. Um, and I ran inside to tell my coworkers, and they were in shock. And they're like, we're gonna run out, we're gonna find him and talk to him. And, yeah. And all these different things, but that was one of the many. I mean, I got told in in college like, oh, we're so. We're so glad that you're one of our black friends. Like we, we only wanted to become friends with you so we can add one to our list. Different things like that that so were in, strange. Like in their hearts, I'm sure were just playful and fun yeah, and yeah, kind, yeah. but didn't understand the ramifications of words. And I think now, now being I'm 24 now, and mm. in hindsight, like my cousin was shot four years ago now, and mm. he was on my dad's side of the family, so he was. Um, younger black male mm. and he was just walking back from the convenience store really late at night and someone mm. pulled a gun on him and shot him and oh, so sorry. that was a reality that I yeah just didn't like what do you do when mm. you go back to school and people don't know how to dialogue about it they don't know how to ask or what to say because they know it, it's loaded mm. um, and they know it's yeah it's not a part of the kingdom is not a part of it's no. just it's brokenness and it's yeah so a lot of different things but yeah, yeah. well I, I want to say thank you for sharing that story I, did, I, did, I didn't know that 
and I think when you were talking right now, it made me think of um, that story outside of your outside of your store and what that guy said. It speaks to me to the reality that there's a lot of people filled with hate, and you start to go like, "What's the solution here?" Like, what is this? Like, like for a guy to walk by, that is so absurd. For a guy to walk by you and to say something so evil and demeaning, pretty much to your face, is so asinine. I can't wrap my mind around it. And and for him to be at that place individually in his life speaks to the the the, the hatred in his heart. I think it once again goes back to me for how important it is that the world needs love. Right. The world needs God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what is, is, is the solution to humanity curing racism? You know, I, th- I think it's for us a comforting reality to know like, hey, our God loves all of humanity. He created it. He's obsessed with it. He, he loves every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group. Like, we believe our God is the God of all of the universe. Like, he loves North Korea just as much as he loves America. I know it's hard for some Texans to get their, their mind and heart around, but, yeah. but God, loves, God loves the Middle East just a heads up. God loves people from the Middle East. And I think what's so sad about what's happening right now is it's, it's, it's like what Eric, what you said, it's like, it's waking us up to the, to the world and how angry the world is and how the world sees the rest of humanity in color and, and wants to uh, put people in boxes and say, oh, you're this, you're that and label. And I think it, it, for me, all that to say, like, it brings me great comfort and all. That's the opposite of our God. Hmm. That our God embraces color. And uh, I, 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 all that to say, it leads me to my next question. As Christians, so what is our job? This is going on. It's all over social media. We've had to face it in our personal lives. Uh, maybe, Eric, if you, if you can start, what, what's our job? Like, is our job to post on social media? Is our job just to create a podcast? Like, as Christians, how do we even help this whole thing? Yeah, um, you know, I think it's a tough question. From my perspective, how do you help? I think you have to get the process of like, yeah, can I even help as a white guy? Like, what's my role in this? Um, So true. And I think for me, I've had to go through, uh, there was a lot of like, I don't even know where to start. Maybe I post something to, to, to share that I'm with you, but... And so I think it, it's got to start, and you guys can, can back me up. Like I've got to start I- interacting with people outside of wow. people that look like me and wow. start asking questions and being able to listen and say, okay, what is going on? I need, I need to maybe be quiet and listen for a while. Wow. If, I, if I'm not experiencing what they're experiencing, um, let's, wow. let's see what's, what's really happening. So, um, yeah, I think there's got to be a period of, of giving voice to those that haven't had a voice. Um, right. Because I think, uh, you know, a lot of what we see is the, the protesting and um, is just saying, hey, like, listen to this. Well, look at this. Like, pay attention. Right. And so I think we've got to pay attention first. And, yeah. 
so well said. I love it. Paving the way. So good. Yeah. 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 Any, anybody else? What, 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 what's our job in this? I think validation is a huge thing. Um, I think racism, like you said, is, is it's massive. It's, it's real. It's, it's, it's here. Um, you know, having a voice, I believe, is only as good as being heard. Mm-hmm. And I think part of hearing is understanding what you've never experienced. Mm-hmm. And so I think a large uh, part of our contribution to society is validating people's emotions, um, irregardless of our agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw someone post this, this line that um, to love somebody, you don't have to agree with them. Right. And so I think providing providing them a listening ear and validating how they feel gives us a starting point of moving forward. I think without valid, without validation, you just have a whole lot of frustration mm-hmm. on both sides. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's so well said. Yeah, I think too, to go back on what you said earlier too, like the rhetoric behind Black Lives Matter like has to be understood that when it's immediately refuted with all lives, all lives matter, but it's kind of missing the point. Yeah. By kind, I mean like it's completely missing yeah, yeah. the point. Hey, um, bud, you're missing the point. <laughs> so just to be, just to be clear, uh, yeah, perspective is very humbling, mm-hmm. but to, like what Eric was saying, to sit down and listen. I think also our role is to not be disheartened, which is something that mm-hmm. I uh, am still learning, but when I hear stories or when I hear the news in general, day after day, it's just easy to be disheartened and easy to, um, yeah, just to ask questions and to be doubtful and to just wonder when it'll all stop, but just choosing to remain fixed on Jesus and and trusting that he is a God that redeems and that he's constantly working to bring all things to himself. Mm. And um, yeah, me and my brother and sister included. And so... Yeah, being confident that every day we're all being made more like him. And so it's, it's not like he's not phased by the things that are happening. He's right. not like, oh, I didn't account for that um, in Tulsa. Or I didn't see that coming in Charlotte. Um, mm. But he's he's mourning not only like more than, than we are, but also more consistently. Like when I, right. when my thought process like veers elsewhere, he's still interceding for for those people in those communities so I want to be partnering with him in that and in that hope and yeah just believing that God is bigger than that yeah I think I think just the fact that we're asking the question you know really does matter what what what's our role what's our job how what can we do I think you know Zach you said it the validation I think asking the question validates something's wrong here something is broke absolutely what what can, can we record a podcast can we post something for you? Can we, how do we show you that we care? And when I say you, I'm talking to all minorities because the, 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 the trap could go like, hashtag, you know, Black Lives Matter and get stuck only with that being the only minority in our country. Right. The reality is, is that if you're a minority in America, you're fighting an uphill battle in some form or fashion. You're already pegged as X. Now, we, we know socially, you've been pegged as X because some people of the ethnicity have brought that on. And that and going back to Malcolm Gladwell, that's where we get thin slicing from. It's like, there's a reason why we have stereotypes. However, to throw everybody in is right. the crit the, to say like, well, all white, all white officers are racist. That, that, that proves our point that that stereotypes and thin slicing can 
can get us where we are right now where a guy in Tulsa has his arms up right. with no weapon. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not trying to go into the details of who's right and who's wrong. It's perception. And I think what we're saying here is like, what's our job? How can we help as believers in Jesus? That's what this podcast is about. As believers in God, it's my responsibility to perpetuate equality, Mm -hmm. unity, love, acceptance, forgiveness of past mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like it is my responsibility. And I'm thinking on the verse from Paul, it's our job to live at peace with everybody. Mm -hmm. That's our job. Our job is we are dispensers of hope. We are not, it's not our job to perpetuate hatred, to single people out, to judge or, or, or to, to be critical of mistakes. We're, we're, we're called, and I'm thinking of Romans 12, the latter part, when, when, when you know, Paul's going, he's like, just these are, this is all the Christian conduct you should have in your life. And this is what a Christian should be. If you look at it, it's like, oh, that's how we solve racism in America. Mm-hmm. Paul just laid out the whole thing. Yeah. And um, I, I, th- I think we, the more you read the Bible, the more you understand God's heart, you go like, whoa, I've got a big part to play in this. Mm-hmm. This is not somebody else's problem. This is actually mine. Yeah. This, is, this is at my doorstep. This is in my country. And I'm really thankful that I get to play a part in bringing bring healing to broken hearts. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget, I was maybe 16, 17 years old, and this, this is an unbelievable revelation for me. I'm 16, 17 years old, I'm in a, I'm in a, uh, a stadium with 65,000 males, Promise Keepers event, and this guy gets up, and is a white man, and he starts confessing his racist, racist heart. And he talked about, told the story how God healed him of, of racism. And he says, if you've been struggling with racism, I want you to stand to your feet right now. We're going to believe healing. And I'll never forget this. As long as I live, my basketball coach stands up in front of me. And I thought to myself, stop it. Are you serious? And my basketball coach starts weeping. And I thought, that's our job right there. Our job is to say, we've been healed from this or... We, we know a God that can heal you from this yeah. and to see guys that have been struggling with this because let's be honest, America has been struggling with this. Mm-hmm. More people than we thought were struggling with it are struggling. Mm-hmm. And we, we've got to be agents and advocates for healing. Yeah. That's, that's our responsibility. Yeah. This is our last question. What are some steps that the local church can take from here? Like we, we got people listening from Houston or New York or shout out to Auckland and uh, we love you Kiwis. Uh, um, what, what, around the world, what are some steps we can take as a local church? Forward. Steps forward. Yeah. I think, yeah, I love what you just said too. Ownership I think is a good place to start. So whether I, if we can also just refute anyone ever saying, I have black friends, so I get it, because that just needs to be oh, out the window, please. Uh, I think we can, yeah, toss out the old jargon and, and start building a new yeah. right. conversation. Can I just say something on that? Yeah. Because reality is, I don't get it. Hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not black. I didn't grow up being looked a certain way, mm-hmm. perceived a certain way, having to face some of that. I don't... Re- all this has, has reminded me, I really don't get it. 
if there's one thing I don't get, it's I don't get this. I don't, I've never lived a day in your shoes. And that is a reality that I think is so important. Please continue. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there are some practical things uh, that church can do. I'm stealing these from, from people that I think have given their voice. Uh, you know, pastors, there's a pastor in San Francisco, Michael McBride, who's been a part of, of a lot of work in, in San Francisco. And then Christina Cleveland is another one who's um, written a book called Disunity in Christ and just talk, gives practical mm. stuff for churches. How what can we do? And I think wow. like giving voice, you know, I've been in churches that have been predominantly white my entire life. Our right. nation's entirely white. So let's give voice to those in our congregations. Mm-hmm. Um, let's create a space where they can share their experience and listen to them. And, and some of that might be like, let's get them on stage and hear their experience, wow. you know, um, which seems like a little simple thing, but has it ever happened? Have we only heard from a certain, yeah. um, from the majority on this issue? Um, wow. Uh, so that would be a big one. And then, yeah, like you said, you have, know that you have a part. And so just ask, like, how can yeah. I help? What can I do? Yeah. And for some, that may be like showing up, getting a group from the church and showing up to a protest and just, just to be there and say, right. hey, Zoe Church, Black Lives Matter, we're here. Yeah. Um, we're here for the people in our community who are hurting. So um, Yeah, those are cool things. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I agree with everything. Um, they've said so so far, and I think to um, you know everything you said. What we're supposed to perpetuate is the gospel. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm enamored with this thought. If you go there with me, is uh, being a black male, it can be hard celebrating go- a gospel that I don't feel applies to me socially in, in in my community. Wow. And so I think if we if if we allow ourselves to allow the gospel to affect all contexts of our reality. It allows everybody to feel freedom and the fullness of Christ. Mm. Whereas, even if you're in a church setting, sometimes if you feel the fullness or freedom of the gospel applies to everyone but you in certain social context, it makes it really hard to celebrate along with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So, mm. um, I think the full gospel is essential. And I think you, you know everything we're saying is you have to call racism what it is, and, it, and it's sin. Yeah, um, it's, it's the wow. fall of man. It's humanity. And, I think when we address it as that Jesus is the only solution, yes, um, yes. it really fixes our fixes our energy. I think in the in the right in the right place because it's not about yeah. a policy; it's really about the fall of man and its sin. Yeah, yeah, that's so well said. I think you know it. it just this question alone makes me uh, think about our community mm-hmm. and what we're doing. And um, a, a podcast obviously is not going to change change the world's problems, but hopefully. Um, you know, our church, which, you know, listens to this, is going like, yeah, what can I do? How can I be a part of the solution? Um, lest I be a part of the problem. And um, I, I think if we can be people that are really committed to um, seeing healing, we just, we need so much healing in our hearts, in our lands. And I think if I'm being transparent, you know, we need healing in, in our hearts ourselves. Right. In that it, it starts with us. Mm-hmm. And it's that old saying, revival starts with me. Mm-hmm. Healing in our country starts with me. And to think that it doesn't is like thinking that our vote in the presidential election doesn't count. Mm-hmm. It does. And every one of us matters. And I think that if we can start to prove in our communities collectively that every person matters. Mm-hmm. Every person's valued by God. If we can prove that by the way that we treat one another, the way that 
This is Jesus. Once again, he's going like, guys, they're going to know that you're from me by the way you love each other. Mm-hmm. And that's on the internet, but that's also in person. Wow. And that's in our hearts. And I think that I'm challenged by this conversation personally to be someone that gets healed of any prejudice I have. To be honest, most of us right now, I don't think that we're prejudiced towards hashtag Black Lives Matter. I think we're prejudiced towards cops. I think that, 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 that's kind of what's going on in culture. Everybody in society is going like, how dare the white cops shoot the black guys? And I pray that we value those that serve and protect our nation. Right. And though we uphold them with the highest esteem, less we become racist towards them. And yeah. what good does that do? Yeah. And so what I'm really trying to say is that we've got to get healed personally in our individual lives, in our communities and churches that we gather within so that that becomes the thing that our country feels that, wow, when our back was up against the wall, we did not revert to throwing punches mm. as much as when Jesus was like, hey, give them the other cheek. Mm-hmm. Bless them. Bless those that curse you. Let's get soft hearted. In order for us to move forward, we have to move forward with humility and tenderness yeah. and a sense of Jesus in our lives. So I'm going to end this podcast with praying. I want to say thank you for joining us and uh, and being a part of the solution wherever you are, wherever you're um, listening to this. We love you so much. And we're believing that even right now, the Holy Spirit's talking to you about your life and everything that you're going through. And we're declaring God's blessing and his peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every person today. God, we pray that they themselves will feel valued treasured and cherished by you. Thank you that you're, you fearfully and wonderfully made each one of us, no matter the pigment of our skin. God, we thank you that you, you love us and you love us so much that you sent your son to die for our sins. We receive your son and that grace. God, heal our hearts and heal our land. God, we declare over America a sweeping through of tenderness and healing and peace of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen. Come on, wherever you're at, I gotta hear you a little bit louder. (laughs) Amen. We love you, and we'll see you next week.